you know, if there's a particular episode of 143 Pixels that speaks to you, you know, a game that you have played or a game that you started playing after listening to an episode of 143 Pixels, and you want to share your story with that game, then do me a favor and send an email to 143pixels at gmail.com. That's 143pixels at gmail.com. Tell me your story and I'll share it on a mailbag episode of 143 Pixels. Welcome everyone to 143 Pixels. I'm Bill and we are here to talk about games we love. Each episode I bring a friend and that friend brings a game. This week my friend is NBZ and the game they brought is Metroid Fusion. NBZ is one of the hosts of This Nintendo Life, a British Nintendo podcast featuring two childhood friends that's been running bi-weekly for six years. Less of a news show and more of a discussion about the games that they love I thought NBZ was a perfect person to have come on the show. The thing that I like about NBZ is he is really into the mechanics and the design of games. You know how I do things. I just talk about if a game is fun or not. But NBZ really seems to get into the nitty gritty about why he likes a game. I always kind of have trouble putting my finger on, oh, I really like this game, but I can't really put it into words. And NBZ is always able to put it into words. Sometimes a lot of words. I've been listening to this Nintendo Life for years now. I don't listen to every episode, but they're definitely one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. You can find NBZ's show on all the good podcasting apps, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. He is Lord NBZ or NBZ if you're everywhere else on Twitter and at TNL Podcast for his show podcast. Now that you know more about NBZ and why I invited him on the show, it's time for me to give you a little bit of background about the game he chose. But first, let's take a quick ad break, and when we get back from our sponsors, it's time for Metroid Fusion. Exterminating evil gives you strength, but are you strong enough to face your greatest fear? Fusion only on Game Boy Advance. Rated E for everyone. Hey everybody, Bill here. I want to take a minute and talk about my process for making 143 pixels. It is a seasonal show, which means basically what I do is I, I do all of the interviews and then I do a bunch of research and then I do a bunch of uh, recording and then I do a bunch of editing. And this takes a whole bunch of time. So what usually happens is I will get 10 episodes completely finished and then I will start releasing them. Some people may not want to wait for me to finish a full season before I start releasing it. And I've got good news for you. I recently, and honestly, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but I recently uh, made an early access tier on the Patreon, which you can find over at patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. And if you join at the early access tier, then as soon as I finish an episode of 143 pixels, 
I post it and you get to listen to it like right away. You get your own RSS feed that is just for you. And I upload the podcasts as soon as I finish them rather than waiting until I get an entire season done. In addition, if you didn't know, uh, that also gets you access to all of my shows 100% ad free. So again, that URL is patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. And without further ado, let's get to the next episode of 143 Pixels. Thanks for listening. Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance is a member of the genre that is created by this franchise, the Metroidvania genre. If you don't know what a Metroidvania genre is, the the things that make a Metroidvania a Metroidvania is the fact that you have to retraverse the same areas over and over. Uh, sometimes to you, you can't get through certain areas without certain items. And when you traverse the second time around, sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's harder. It's a kind of game where the map doesn't have to be really, really huge in order for you to have a unique experience each time you go through that part of the map. It's a really weird genre that is, com- uh, the, the two best examples of it are Metroid and Castlevania. And that's why we slap those two terms together to Metroidvania. Another way to say it is that it's an action adventure, a side-scrolling shooting game. It was developed and published by Nintendo. And of course, as a Japanese company, it's got a lot of Japanese names attached to it, which I am going to struggle to say correctly as I don't speak Japanese and have never been taught the proper way to enunciate these names. So bear with me while I try and give credit where credit is due. The game was directed by uh, Yoshio Sakamoto as well as Takehiko Hosokawa and Takahiro Izushi. The game was also written by Sakamoto, who was also a director on the game. The music for the game was composed by two people, uh, Minahako Hamano as well as Akira Fujiwara. And the release date for the game was... This is kind of weird. It surprised me. It was released in North America before it was released in Japan. North America got the game on November 18th, 2002, and it wasn't released in Japan until February 14th, 2003. This really surprised me because as a Japanese game, you would think that it would be released in Japan first. That's usually what happens. The Japanese gaming magazine Famitsu gave the game 34 out of 40. IGN called Metroid Fusion an outstanding achievement on the Game Boy Advance. It won handheld game of the year at the 2002 Interactive Achievement Awards, and it was called the best GBA adventure game by IGN. GameSpot also called it the best action game on the Game Boy Advance. I couldn't find any sales data about this game, which is kind of weird. It's it's an old game, and you'd think that this stuff would be readily available, but I mean, what I meant to say is it's not that old of a game, and you would think that this stuff would be readily available. It has been on every game up until now, but I couldn't find anything about sales data for the game. Uh, I did find a little bit of trivia that I found interesting uh, in the game. Or actually, I'm sorry, in the beginning of the game, in Sector 1, X Parasites, which um, NBZ explains what they are in a little bit, uh, but X Parasites have infested five atmospheric stabilizers, and you have to restore these stabilizers to normal. If you look closely, 
at the art of the atmospheric stabilizers, you can see a GameCube in the top left corner of the stabilizers. And I checked and I looked at a screenshot and absolutely you can. I thought that, that was really, really cool. And I, I, found, I just thought it was uh, interesting. I always like when video game companies leave little Easter eggs like that throughout the game. Uh, without any further ado, uh, we're going to hear the intro to um, Metroid Fusion. And then after that, my interview with NBZ. always running in the background and that drives yeah, me you, bananas you, you click the cross and it doesn't it's like gone down to the taskbar and isn't actually gone yeah i'm like hey knock yeah. it off i don't like what you're doing i like that you called it a cross instead of an x what did you think of that whole playstation thing <laughs> well i think that's the thing in, in the uk people are probably have more of a tendency to say cross but I, I always said x i think x is just like the easiest thing to say um like the when you think about it, the X button is literally in three separate places on all three controllers. So it's like press the X button. I'm like I don't know which one to press. That is different. that is so true. There's um let me let me just bring up a thing. I will send it to you. Um if I I made a shirt, okay, and uh, that shirt is all about that. And I'm just gonna send you the link so that you can see it because I okay. had this exact same joke that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that you would appreciate it. It's funny that the color scheming right button is always red. That's weird. Oh, I never thought about that. Is it? Really I'm, looking weird, isn't it? At my I'm trying to look at a Nintendo controller right now, but I don't. I don't see one that has color on it. I feel the... like the um, the new 3ds, the small one. They mm -hmm. had the colored buttons, didn't they? I can't remember if that was. Right or not. I, at some point, I think that they should just... I, I like what Switch did where they just stopped saying A or B or whatever. And yeah. They just showed all four of them and highlighted the one that you should push. It can get a bit confusing. Like I was playing Rocket League one time with my mom at a pub. And, uh, which is a bad idea. I shouldn't do that. Um, and she was like, what button do I press? I'm like, the um, you, you just look on the screen, the one that it shows on the screen. <laughs> because when you true. twist on its side, it's like you just don't really... You can't have names for them anymore. Yeah, it's hard to communicate that to whoever it is that you're playing with. If right. they're a novice, uh, you can't say push the whatever button. That's one thing I, that I think that PlayStation had over everybody else is that they used symbols instead of letters. And I always wondered, Nintendo is a Japanese company. Why did they use traditional like Latin iconography for their buttons? Yeah. That's so weird before that is very true like what why didn't you japanese either like katakana or something it's really yeah. weird well oh. that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about metroid fusion and i gotta ask like, why did you pick metroid fusion as the game that you wanted to talk about metroid fusion i say generally is my favorite game um now in recent years that's changed uh it has um, you know, there's, there's been recent games, things like Breath of the Wild, which may to some degree have 
eclipsed it but in many ways i look at breath of the wild as beyond video games in some senses so like it doesn't really equate but for the longest time it is it's a game that i have probably played the most out of all games i've played in my life um it's the game i have the most familiarity with and there's there's many reasons why i love it so much it's it's just it's a very interesting game and it's very often not talked about like you talk about metroid and people bring up prime or they bring up super metroid fusion is is like the kind of stepchild that no one talks about it's just in the corner and it's really good but no one ever talks about it now let me ask a question as somebody who has never played metroid fusion and i also did not play the new metroid that was on the 3ds uh that the, the samus returns the yeah. samus returns okay yes that yeah. is not the same those are not the same game absolutely not samus, samus returns, samus returns is... is the remake of metroid 2 which was on the game boy right yes exactly okay so, just make so sure i'm remembering it was the game boy game and fusion was a gba game um so it was the first game boy advance metroid and it actually came out on the same day as metroid prime funnily enough so even you know back then when it was new it was being cannibalized by metroid prime um which is funny because it's you know it's always just kind of in the shadows it's always been in the shadows uh, to some degree and and that's probably why i never played it because i i had a game boy or a GameCube, and i was playing the hell out of metroid prime that game blew my mind and yeah. that's probably the reason that I never played uh, Metroid Fusion. So when yeah. you first played it, like, how old were you? Gosh, I probably around 12 or 13 when when I played Metroid Fusion for the first time. Um, it was actually a friend of mine who... So we were doing this play at school. It was Calamity Jane. I think it was a musical, actually. And during rehearsals, he had his GBA, and he was playing Metroid Fusion. He had this game, and I was just taken in by it. I was like so impressed by it visually. It just seemed like a really cool action game and I wanted it so badly. So I think around that time, like maybe a month later, I got it for myself and then both of us were playing it during rehearsals because we, we were kind of like younger and so we didn't have main roles in the play. We were just on for a few scenes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time we'd just be spending sitting in the changing rooms, just not really doing anything. So I had a lot of time there when we were both playing through Metroid Fusion um, and sometimes I'd be like, this is too hard can you do this boss for me or whatever um so that was my first encounter with the game was on gba back in the day um, and i never had an sp so i did have to get some good lighting in order to even see what was going uh... on but metroid fusion funnily enough is a game that is unlike you know the launch game uh with the gba uh, castlevania circle of the moon which is another game in this vein like metroidvania style game uh, that game was just really dark and no one could see it fusion kind of corrects on that by being one of the most colorful games in the series it's just you know the, the suit that she wears is this popping yellow and blue to some degree it's quite garish but i think it gives such a distinctive look to samus and it's, it's really unlike anything else she wears in the series do, do you think that the that color scheme works um, still works when you have backlighting on or do you think it's too much? I think it does. Um, I've So I played it over the weekend again just to refresh myself and on new 3DS XL, you know, the GBA games are a bit blown up so the pixel kind of, you know, they get a little bit muddy to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the coloring does help to kind of keep it uh, in that sense. Um, but I don't think it's over the top i think when castlevania 
went in the other direction. Like they they put out Harmony of Despair, um, or was it Harmony of Distance? Those games, there are too many names for them. Uh, the yeah. second GBA Castlevania game, that went in a direction where it's like, wow, this is way too bright. Like they overcorrected way too far. Um, whereas this, I don't think quite did that. I think they, they hit a nice middle ground. And even today, when you go back and play it, it still looks really nice. So, okay, you see your friend playing it at, at rehearsal. You go home and you're like, Mom, Dad, I have to get this. Did they did they take you to the store or did you like have to do like some awful job in order to earn enough money to go and buy it? How, how did that work out for you? really remember i tended we tended to just not do chores when we were younger we it was wasn't really a thing we didn't earn pocket money it was just kind of one of those things where if i wanted a game at some point is be like okay well you know get good uh, exams or something and then i'll i'll get you the game so i think it probably was around that time of year like end of the school year so they're like what game would you like to get and i was like i want this one so they got it for me um so often like my dad would come home and, and i'd have the game because he'd got, gone out and bought it from somewhere he'd often bring back things because he went on business to japan and stuff so like japanese pokemon cards i have so many japanese pokemon cards because he'd go to japan on business and his friend would get a bunch of them and, and get them cheap and just give them to him to bring back um so oftentimes he'd come back and uh he went over to the states to get pokemon diamond and pearl for me and my friends so that was another thing so yeah he, he'd often just pop home with games and i'd be like yay this came from somewhere i don't know where or why you got it but i have it now so that's awesome uh so obviously you've played through this game multiple times right yes yeah i've oh god must be seven or eight times uh, at this point i think on 3ds alone on the ambassador program probably four times um and most of the time when i go through the game i 100 it this time i just did it over the weekend i was like no i'm not gonna go for the 100 i'm just gonna bust through it see how quickly i can do it um and in the tradition of metroid it has multiple endings so depending on percentage completion or how fast you do it you get a different splash screen with samus uh, at the end of the game and I've never managed to beat the game in under the two-hour limit that it gives you, which it it seems like that's way too fast to finish this game, but the way the in-game calculator calculates time is very different. I don't think it adds up time spent in menus or even in cutscenes and stuff like that. Oh, and maybe okay. it counts a little bit slower. So my finish time for this one was actually two hours, 47 minutes. Um, so I was quite a bit over the two-hour mark that I wanted to hit. Um, but I think it's because when I play through this game, a lot of, I just know where everything is and all the secrets. So I always have to go out of my way to get the missile tank or get the power bomb or whatever. Whereas if I'm really gunning for speed running it, I'd have to skip over those things. Um, but I always get too tempted by them. So you finished the game this weekend? Beat it in an afternoon in like three, four hours. Because um, I contacted, I'm talking to the listener right now. I contacted NBZ on friday and i was like hey man i got a i got a a new show that i want to have you on where we just talk about one game and he's like sounds great and uh you immediately this week is because we're we're recording this on a tuesday so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's hardcore dude you must have that game memorized Oh, I do. Yeah, it's it's kind of scary to some degree because I will surprise myself. I'll be like, um, so this room here, it has something hidden inside it. And it's probably this particular square, like three up and five across. And I just shoot it exactly. And it's there. I jump and grab the power up. Um, and I, I wouldn't be able to tell you that probably if you showed me a picture of it. But like as I'm in the flow state of going through the game, it's almost muscle memory that kicks in to some degree. Um, so so yeah. And 
and for me, a lot of the fun of the game is in the collection aspect. Um, a lot of people deride Fusion because it is far more linear than the other Metroid games, right? You are down this path, you have to go from sector to sector, and each sector is like a different biome, so you have a lava one and a plant one and, and an ice one and all these things, and it's very much the game funnels you, but within those smaller areas, you do have a bit of room to explore. Um, but what tends to happen is right at the end of the game, you have the opportunity where you have all the power-ups that you can actually... Passages that link... Um, all the sectors outside of kind of the main hub because the, the idea is there's this main hub and then you travel on an elevator up and, and up and down to different sectors but late in the game you get the opportunity to kind of break through barriers and just go wherever you want so I'd always get to the end of the game and then spend like an hour or two just running around every sector and collecting every power up and a lot of those are hidden behind really tricky to get um kind of puzzles that are puzzles based around shine sparking and like using your movement and conserving your movement and it's always been one of my favorite things about 2d metroid is the speed boost and how flexible it is and all the weird things you can do with it um so so yeah i have a lot of memories from when i was younger being really frustrated at these hard challenges because they're really tricky to pull off if you don't know what to do so you mentioned that the game's a lot more linear than the other Metroid games in the series. Do you think that they uh, did that because of screen size? I don't think so, because you do have access to a map. Um, so you do have, similar to what you'd That's have true. in Super Metroid, you, you are able to kind of figure out where you would be. Um, as I said, it is a a lot more segmented so maybe they were going for because it's a handheld game they were thinking okay let's split it up into more like digestible sections where you go through an area you get to a save point relatively quickly so you're not you're not wandering around trying to find a save point like you normally are in a metroid game um so to some degree I, i'd say it is designed around the specific nature of the handheld but also they are trying to tell a story here like it's the first metroid game with uh, dialogue between characters with written story that is uh, overt it isn't like um, prime or even super metroid where a lot of it is lore or it is visual storytelling that you you pick up as you go through um, and fusion has a good amount of that it it actually does a lot of foreshadowing with stuff like its bosses like um, in sector three you face ceres who is this giant snake boss and it is really fast it's actually where you get the speed booster and before you enter the boss room for ceres there's this this tank um where you just see this skeleton of this really long kind of dragon fish thing and the idea behind a lot of fusions bosses is the x parasite is this thing that has infected samus um, and so now she can absorb them but they uh they go and infect lots of different creatures and so the idea is with the visual storytelling is this creature existed here the x parasite infected it and now it is kind of brought it back to life and left its kind of old skeleton there which is in many ways, it is terrifying, and, and Fusion is weird because you can say pretty definitively that it's a horror game. Like, in a lot of senses, this is a horror game. And yet, for me, I'm someone who hates horror, cannot stand it, will never play a horror game in my life. You know, everyone's talking about Resident Evil 2 Remake came out at the start of this year, Game of the Year and stuff like that. I am no, not going anywhere close to Resident Evil 2 Remake. I'm going to run out the room before I play that game. And yet, this game because it's 2d doesn't really affect me in that way mm -hmm. but it is definitively a horror game and, and that's you know uh, really encapsulated in the main enemy which is the sax do you think that the the idea of this game game being a horror game it loses its effectiveness because of 2d because you don't feel like you're the character 
and instead you feel like you're just controlling the character or is it because you're just yeah. far farther back from what's happening um it, like uh, can you explain why this is okay for horror when something else yeah. might not be yeah i think 2d is a big part of it because it is a bit more abstract and you are having this side on view when when it's a third person action game i equate it more to reality right like mm -hmm. i could in my house open a door and something jump out at me right like that is a thing that could happen in my real life in my brain uh whereas in a 2d game there's not the same equivalence um and so i think because of that i i i feel they're different um and so i don't really get as scared that said there are many moments in this game that are just terrifying because you, as Samus, you're slowly building up your power, but early on in the game, you're very weak. And um, the game makes it clear that the SAX is this terrifying threat. It's wearing the Varia suit that Samus has at the end of Super Metroid, which is Samus in her most powerful state. Mm -hmm. And it just it has this one cutscene where it zooms in on the face of the SAX and there are just these dead eyes in Samus's face. And it's really scary. Um, and oftentimes throughout the game, there's three or four moments where you'll be in a room and you'll see a spotlight and hear these footsteps and the music just cuts out. The music just goes silent and you just hear these footsteps echoing very, very slightly. And you see the SAX and sometimes you're hidden. Um, sometimes it ambushes you and one point in the game you have to escape from it and it is that's one of the parts when I was younger that I found really difficult and actually um, there's we had this exchange student from Germany who stayed with me for a weekend or so because he was you know staying at different people's houses and I was at a point in the game that I couldn't get past it and he was able to get through it for me so the first time I got through that section I didn't actually do it myself he did it for me um, but it is so well done like it really encapsulates that sense of fear um with so little you know it's pixel art it's 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 a game boy game and and i think that's the most impressive thing about fusion is is it accomplishes such a feeling with so little that's that's a, that that's a pretty amazing accomplishment just hearing you talk about it makes me want to definitely give this game a shot and try it out for the first time and i love being scared I don't like right. gross stuff. I'll I'll tolerate gross stuff in a game if the atmosphere is scary enough because I like the feeling of being scared. And yeah. if this gives me the ability to feel that, oh man, that scary feeling um, without having to see like somebody's face ripped in half like in Resident Evil uh, 2 Remake, then that sounds really appealing to me. Yeah, so it's 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 less the the gore and more the kind of anticipation of yeah. horror. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's definitely something this game does really well. And I think there's this one moment that I picked up on this recent playthrough of the weekend that I thought was really clever and it was um it's the the type of thing that I always look for in games, which is narrative through gameplay. Um so you get to this section, which is sector six and it is really dark like it's it's a section which is called like nocturne and so the entire area you can barely see anything and the music is very very haunting and there are these ex parasites that are frozen and if they touch you they will damage you so usually throughout the game this basically does this reversal where throughout the game you heal yourself or you get more missiles and stuff by killing enemies and then you absorb the x parasite because um, what happened at the start of the game is samus's suit was reconfigured so that she would survive and the kind of benefit of that happening is she can now absorb the x 
But what it does is it turns this on you. And so you're in this very dark area. Um, they will just pop out of nowhere and they will chase after you. And if they attach <laughs> themselves to you, they will freeze your insides and you'll take damage. And I remember going through this part as a kid and being like, oh, God, like because you just want to get to that save room. You just want to get through this area. And there are so many of them. There are rooms you go into where it's just full of them. And you're like, well, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to go this other way. Um, and then you eventually get the Varia suit in that area. And the Varia suit obviously lets you, you know, take on temperatures. So you can go into hot areas or cold areas. And you come out having got the Varia suit into this section. And the ex-parasites come at you, but now they can heal you. Now you don't get affected by the cold. And so they start running towards you, but now you're being healed. Um, and then after that, you realize that you go and save and you exit and you start trying to get them. And now they're running away from you. They actually actively oh, move away that is from awesome. Samus. Which is amazing. I, I never really thought about it. Like, I knew it happened in the game, but I never thought about it from a narrative perspective that, like, these things that had been terrifying to you are now your thing that you're hunting. Like, you can freeze them in midair mid with your gun, and previously you were freezing them so that you could run away from them. Like, it's kind of a stopping mechanism. But now you're trapping them, and they are your prey, almost. Um, and I think Metroid Fusion, a, a lot of Metroid games do this, but it goes from being a game, a horror game, where you are the kind of hopeless victim to where you are the hunter who goes around just taking everyone out. Um, because once you get the screw attack and everything, you really are just a death machine uh, that nothing can stop. Um, so I love that reversal. I love the way that you build power in the game and just kind of completely change the dynamic of it. Was there anything about uh, a Metroid Fusion that you just were like, all right, they kind of dropped the ball on this part? I... I think that my most frustrating part um, of the game is with map design in terms of showing you where items are, right? Um, I think in Super Metroid, it would show you the item on the map, um, but it wouldn't show that you had collected it. Um, and Fusion comes up with a really clever premise for it, which is if you if there's an item in the room, but you haven't collected it yet, it will be just a hollow circle. And when you do collect the item, it'll change into just a square. So you know what rooms you have collected an item in and you know which ones you can go back to, which is really good. I wish they'd gone a step further with the map. And this is one of my biggest pet peeves in Metroidvanias. I play a lot of these games. It's probably my favorite genre. Um, and there are very few games that, that show you exactly the state of the world. And what I mean by that is... There are moments in this game which I think are really cool because you go back to an area and it's completely changed. Um, like Sector 5, for example, is is a good one because as you go there, and this kind of feeds into the horror theme as well, you go through, past this really large kind of glass room um, and there's windows at the back and you sometimes just see this shadow just pass by. You're like, what the hell is that? Um, and later on you realize that it's one of the bosses, Nightmare, and, and you come back to that area and everything is destroyed, it's broken, like there is glass shattered. It's, it really does a great job of, of showing change that's happened through the environment. But what also happens in some of those sections is that the doorways break down and crumble and you can't go through them anymore. But the map still says that you can. The map still says, hey, oh. this is a legitimate route to go through here. So I often found, I think this is probably a thing particular to cleaning up 100% in the end game. 
is sector two for example has a very key door that links the starting area to like a really far off area and that door just gets broken early in the game and you can never use it again but the map never changes to reflect that and so every time i go back to clean up sector two i'm like okay i've got to go all the way around in this big circle and then to get back i have to go all the way back around in the big circle just because this one particular door doesn't work anymore um so i think that's that's one aspect that i i find a bit frustrating about the game i think at this point in my life when i've played it so many times i know what the story is the other thing that's annoying is just the the story um the dialogue and i think it actually on reflection is pretty good like in terms of the writing in terms of the time and what nintendo were trying to do with the series i think that they started to get an idea of like a character samus could be obviously they ended up ruining that with other m but you know we don't want to talk about that game um <laughs> i think that it does tell a good story but you can't there's not really an easy way to skip through dialogue you usually just have to hold down one of the buttons and it will just fast forward through it um but i would like a a version where it's like new game plus where it's like no story just cut out the story just let me go from room to room and a funny thing that i do is on my ambassador version on 3ds i always keep a save file that is right at the start of the game where you get control because every time you start a new save file you go have you have to go through about six or seven minutes of cutscenes, and you can't skip them you can't fast forward it and i'm like i've seen this a million times and every time i want to start playing fusion i just want to start playing so um i have uh, a new file ready to go for next time when i play and before i start that file i'll copy it over another of the files for the next time i have to play <laughs> so i always keep a file where i can just skip the beginning of the game almost um so that's just a thing that i've had to do over time that's that's the, the, you're gonna we're gonna find this posted on life hacker someplace um, that is exactly yes. nbz <laughs> says to do this so that you don't have to watch the cutscene. Exactly. Yeah. that's one of my biggest pet peeves with and it happens more i feel like with japanese games than it does with yeah. uh, western games where i feel like japanese games don't respect your time as much as western games do or they don't they don't care how impatient you are uh and western games are like yeah we get you're impatient we want you to just keep playing our game so we'll let you hit a button and skip things and a lot of times the the japanese games or the eastern games they don't give you that option and it drives me bananas for like for instance i was playing Link's awakening recently on my switch and like every single time that I do, I can't remember what it is, but every single time that I do a thing, like the text comes up on the screen and it reads it's it really the, slowly uh, and I keep hitting yep. the button and it doesn't go away. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> Link's Awakening is weird. When you um, try and talk to somebody, it brings up the text and then it waits maybe two seconds before it brings up the thing to press next. And it, it was so weird. I'm like, why did you do this? It's just such a strange design decision. And then also when you're getting the guardian acorns or the, the power up one, yes. similar to Skyward Sword, when you pick up a uh, you know a rupee after you've just powered the system on, every time it'll bring up the text box, it's like, this is a guardian acorn. Now you've got more defense. And I'm like, can you not, can we just not do this? Because otherwise the game is so smooth and seamless that it kind of messes with with it i know i'm on dungeon seven stop telling me things that i already know i can understand when i'm on dungeon one to tell me that but by the time i power said, is um it's rough man yeah i i just got done uh interviewing somebody for uh for this show like 10 minutes before i, I talked to you 
And that's the game that we talked about. And she she was telling me that that's a really tough dungeon. And I'm not there yet. I think Link is standing outside of it on my playthrough. Okay, well, I'm going to wish you best of luck because it (laughs) might be my least favorite dungeon in the entire Zelda franchise. I cannot stand Eagle's Tower. Um, it is the worst. So good luck. <laughs> That's that okay. <laughs> uh, so you said you you you've noticed things the second and third and seventh times that you've played through. What what yeah. do you feel like is your best experience with Metroid Fusion? What is the what, um, or or your first? Ex- well, you kind of talked about your first experience. Like, what's your best experience? The thing that makes you go, the thing that makes that tugs at your nostalgia strings. It's. I think this is a game that took me a long time to finish, um, mostly because it's a challenging game. It's probably one of the hardest Metroids. I would probably put actually the new the the 3DS game that just came out above it in terms of difficulty. There are some late game bosses in that which are just obscene, um, but I, it is a tough game. And so as a kid, I wasn't great at it as i've already mentioned you know i had this german exchange student who helped me through part of the game and um, i also had my friend when i just started who helped me with some of the bosses and things like that so i i wasn't particularly good at the game when i was younger and and a lot of it was learning how to play one of these games you know i'd never really played a metro style game before so it was really my introduction to a genre that i now absolutely adore and, and i think i'm relatively good at most of them um so a lot of my abiding memories of this game are just different places I was when I was playing it. So I remember being in Dubai for Christmas years ago and being in a particular section that's an underwater area that's really maze-like and really hard to figure out. And I was like, I don't know where to go. I didn't really know what to do. I remember finishing the game in a car journey, like on the way to my grandparents and my sister, like taking a picture of me as I just finished the game for the first time. Um, And then also remembering being like at my grandparents and we were watching Dragon's Den. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dragon's Den. Uh, I think I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Like, I think it was on TV or something, or not on TV. I think it was on another show they were referring to. Oh, um, the IT crowd? Probably do mention it there, yeah. I'd, I think I'd so. Guess it would be a, a touch point. Um, but it's it's a show where basically people come on and pitch their inventions or products or whatever to these um, investors, and the investors decide whether they invest in it or whatever. Anyway, um, they... I always associate this particular room in Metroid Fusion with this guy who came onto Dragon's Den and pitched um, vending machine umbrellas. He was he, His pitch was that, like, what happens when you're out and it starts raining and you don't have an umbrella? This is a very common problem over here, probably less so over, over, over there. Oh, no, and, it happened uh, to me and my wife this summer. We were in New York City. And, oh really? And we were, we were out walking around and uh, it started raining and all these people just swarmed the street and they were like you want to buy an umbrella you want to buy an umbrella so yeah i don't know guy seems to have an idea but go ahead so so this this idea and i i at the time i was like that's genius that's brilliant but i i wasn't really watching the program i was kind of listening to it so i have this this association and this happens sometimes with games for me where i multitask when i play games and so an outside thing will be forever associated with that particular moment in a game um so there's this one particular room where you have to do this really complicated shine spark puzzle and you have to like conserve your momentum then stop and then do a jump and then you know zoom off again and then stop and it's really it takes a lot of uh, patience and that entire time like 45 minutes or so i was just in that one room focused but also listening to this guy talk about his umbrella vending machine <laughs> um so yeah it's, it's very weird but like there's there are those good memories that i have from just being comfortable and playing the game on my on my gba and then um when i first got my ds which was 
actually a few months before it came out in Europe because the DS originally launched at the end of, I think, 05 in, in America. And it was March uh, of 06 that we had to wait for it in, uh, in Europe. So maybe it was 04, 05. I can't remember uh, when the DS came out. It was probably 04 and then 05. And I it was in Dubai and they were selling DSs. And I was like, what the hell? Like I could, I felt like I was a time traveler. Like I could buy a DS before anyone nice. in, in the UK had one. Uh, so I bought one that Christmas when we were there and I didn't have any games. They weren't selling any DS games. I literally, I had to wait three months until the launch <laughs> of the DS in the UK to get WarioWare touched and... Um, and Mario 64, uh, the remake. So for the most of my time with that DS, I was just playing Metroid Fusion. So I just had it in the GBA slot. Um, and that was really my first experience with the DS was that game, which is very funny to think about. That is, that is hilarious. I mean, like you have got to be the only person who that was the first game that they played on their DS was that because uh, everybody else was playing Super Mario 64 remake uh, exactly, with the yeah. awful control scheme. <laughs> Well, that's the version of Mario 64 I played. I never grew up with uh, the N64 game, so that was my first experience. And I have pretty good memories of it. You know, I, I did enjoy playing it. And, and to boot, the uh, version on the DS had a fantastic suite of minigames. The minigames on there are underlooked. Some of the best minigames out there. Um, really enjoyed those. So do you think that Metroid Fusion would do well today or do you feel like that as a game of its time and bringing it to if if it if it came out today not as a remake just if it if it was released today even with the sprite work because it has beautiful sprite work um yes. do you think that it would do well or do you think it would be overlooked it would do well i would say that it would have a lot more to live up to right because i in this era like it is it is riches upon riches for me because this is a genre that for so long was out of vogue you know you had uh, for a while konami was keeping on life support with the ds and with the gba with their castlevania games but in the era before independent games uh, came to the forefront and when we were kind of in the ds kind of part of the life cycle there wasn't a lot of this stuff being made but now you have things like hollow knight guacamelee or in the blind forest you know it's all these really renowned high quality metroid style games um and i do think fusion from a gameplay standpoint stands up to those but i, I do think it would come under a bit more scrutiny um and there would be things that people pick out there are certain things in terms of the story that you know people might not appreciate as much because it's very simple um and also there there are moments in this game that i remember being frustrated as uh, a kid playing it for the first time like not knowing where to go there's this one particular wall in sector four which is aqua where it looks like it's just a regular wall and you're supposed to get to this one part and you have no idea how to get there you just have to put a bomb on this random wall and it will blow up and disappear and uh I remember just not knowing how to get past that for the longest time and getting frustrated. So there is, to some degree, an obscurity about it that makes it a little bit trickier um, with some of the navigational stuff in there. Uh, one of the secret places you have to get to to actually get to a boss is there's a slight cracked um, part of the wall in a save room. Uh, and you're so used to save rooms just being save rooms. and You, you don't explore that. You don't look at anything. But mm -hmm. it's pretty cool because you like break through the save room and you have to get to the boss from there. So, so there's definitely... Little things like that. And I think it's it may be similar to the Link's Awakening remake that's just come out where I played through that game and I'm like, man, there's there's things here that I'm fine with because I played the original and I know what to do. But 
people who are coming to this for the first time, and I've heard a lot of people on podcasts and stuff talk about how there's a lot of uh, old school game design in there, and there there is a a little bit of that infusion. I don't think it's quite as bad as Link's Awakening, but I do think people would pick up on that um, to some degree. If they remade it, would you be you'd be buying this instantaneously if they remade yes. it, or you would be like, I need the old school one. I I don't want this newfangled stuff. Here's the thing. I think a lot of people get up in arms about remakes and about like, oh, wow, they're going to ruin the original. Like, you, you can't... The original exists. The original will yeah. always exist. I you have can always go back to can, it. <laughs> I can play it whenever I want. And it's the same with Resident Evil this year and, and, and all these other remakes that happened. Like, it, the original experience exists. It's great. Um, and I would love to just see what they would do. Like, I would be fascinated to see how they would adapt it, if they would change anything, if they would go down the Link's Awakening route and just make it the exact same, but just change the art style, make it more modern to some degree. Um, I am interested if it will be announced soon. Um, I have a feeling that we are in for a new 2D Metroid. Um, Of course, Mercury Steam were the people who worked on Samus Returns. And uh, minor spoilers for the end of Samus Returns, um, so skip forward like 10 seconds or so, I'll give you some time. Um, there is a tease at the end of that game for Metroid Fusion. Um, one of the creatures from Fusion pops up and there's an ex-parasite and it seems like they are teasing a Fusion remake, uh, which is interesting and I would be I would love to see what that team could do on the Switch. Um, I One of the things that holds back Samus Returns a little for me is its art style. I don't think it looks great. It's very foggy. It's very blurry on the 3DS. Um, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of the 2.5D style they went for. Mm-hmm. So if they are going to adapt you know, Fusion to the Switch and make a new game out of it, I would hope they go more in the direction of Link's Awakening and choose just a very specific art style, a very bold, bombastic thing to go after. Um, because I, I think it it deserves a bit more of uh, attention and I think it will get that if it does get remade. I, I really hope you're right. I, I do. Um, I do think that if they're going to rem- if they're going to remake it and it's the same team, they're probably going to use the same graphic style because that's what they are yeah. familiar with. Yeah. It, uh, I, I don't know how they would adapt it to the Switch, but they'd, they'd probably make it look a bit better, and they'd probably improve all the textures and lighting and things like that. So if that happens, fine. Like I'll I'll still play it, I'll still enjoy it, but I I'm kind of skeptical about how much I would like it. Um, yeah. I would I'd probably be more interested if they just completely went in a bold direction and and changed a bunch of it. So so it was a bit more of its own thing as opposed to just the same game exactly. Um, I think that would be cool, and and they could add some things like throw some different bosses in there maybe um there are certain bosses in this game that really annoy me the one that annoys me the most is this plant guy who's just literally sitting there but he's surrounded by plants on the floor that will just suck you in and you can't get out of them and then these tiny little it reminds me of you know the first boss in super metroid the kind of giant plant dude and he has little um kind of bits of pollen or whatever that fall down yeah uh it reminds me a lot of him and i I remember getting annoyed at that boss because the tiny little bits they're really hard to hit with your beam um and it's a similar thing in this game uh so it's it's stationary but it's just pernickety it's it, it gets a little bit tricky to to get around so so maybe like update some of those frustrating aspects but um but yeah i think overall fusion's just a in terms of its action and its pacing, it's far more—it's far more of an action game, I would say, than any other Metroid. It, you know, it gets rid of that idea of isolation. Although you are very isolated and you do have the SAX chasing you, you do have this computer who's always talking to you. So, so you do have somewhat of a touch point um, that's that's a little bit different from what the series had done before. Um, 
and yeah and, and because of that action it's just it's filled with so many bosses and some of the most memorable bosses i've ever played in video games um some of my favorites for sure well nbz thank you so much for coming on the show it you've got me excited to try out metroid fusion and do I you have um, an ambassador 3ds. I do have an ambassador 3ds, and so you do have I, access to the original. Um, I do, and I've never played any of those ambassador games. I got, <laughs> I you know, wow. I thought I thought, hey, I'll play with some of those, and then I never did because I was always playing newer stuff. I just never went back to it. I, so I was so excited when that program was launched because yes i paid a lot for the 3ds but um two of my favorite games ever which are fire emblem sacred stones and metroid fusion were both on there i am um, the gba like it's some of my favorite games so it's, it's you know abundance of riches getting 10 free gba games it was amazing just the other day i was recording nintendo switchcraft and i was saying that I don't play my 3DS enough, and I, I need to take it off the shelf and throw it in my bag so that I have it with me, because I never play that thing. It just sits no, there. No, I mean, you know, when I played it this weekend, it had been the first time in probably a year and a half that I picked it up and, and done anything with it, um, because, yeah, similar, the Switch has just usurped it at this point. It's it's a little bit obsolete to some degree, but it still has a virtual console with Game Boy games on it, so that's something that Switch doesn't quite have yet yet uh you know there, there's always time knock on wood uh yeah. each episode uh, i try and have my guest close out the show by saying our outro the outro is the resolution doesn't matter okay absolutely um well there we go the resolution doesn't matter The theme song for 143 Pixels is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. You can find more of their music at tonylays.bandcamp.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can find it at pixels143. And if you want to follow me, I'm at runjumpstomp. This show is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. For more information, head on over to gstu.net.